there are going to be aspects of the settlement, the settlement or the final um, a judge ordered uh, resolution that you're just not going to be happy with, right? So we need to pick and choose what's the most important to you, what your priorities are, and figure out what is going to be something that you mostly are happy with. Prenups are always advised for anyone who's going to be coming in with any form of asset. You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, and now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. All right. Welcome to Financial Clarity for Doctors. I'm Corey Janoff, joined as always by Rochelle Vanderzanden. And today we have a very special guest, Blake Van Zyl from Stahanzik, Kent & Hook. It's a law firm here in Portland uh, that specializes in divorce cases for well-off families. And, um, it, you know, divorce, it, it may be... Some may view it as a rather taboo subject to talk about, but um, definitely something worth bringing up because everyone's seen statistics online, what about half of marriages end in divorce, so it's a reality. Um, Not every marriage is going to go perfectly, and sometimes divorce comes up, and uh, there's a lot of unknowns about it because we don't talk about it much in society. So we thought it'd be a good idea to bring Blake on board to, to address some of those unknowns that people may Uh, not be aware of when it comes to getting divorced. Now, full disclosure, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered legal or financial advice. We don't know you or your individual circumstances or situations, uh, where you're living. Laws differ from state to state, so definitely seek counsel from someone who's licensed to practice in your state if you need any legal advice. So please just view this information today as as just that, information, but not guidance um, and Hopefully you don't um, act on anything we take uh, or we mention here without seeking further counsel. And with that, welcome, Blake. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And I guess just diving straight in right out of the gates, why don't we just start from the beginning and describe a typical divorce process? Okay, so again, you know, I, uh, just to clarify, I am licensed to practice in Washington and Oregon, so anything I say is going to be relevant to those two states, uh, and I'm not able to speak outside those jurisdictions, so again, uh, for where you are in the country and then your particulars, please consult an attorney before acting on anything, uh, but but the short answer to that is it depends. <laughs> There's no one typical divorce process. I've done divorces where we come in and we're agreed on everything and then I'm just filling out the paperwork and waiting out the waiting period and, and you're divorced and then there's divorces that are, take a very long time. You know, they I, usually when someone comes in and says, you know, in September, 15-year marriage, I'd like to be divorced by the end of December. I say, absolutely not. That will not happen for you. (laughs) By some miracle, we may be done by then, but I'm not going to give you unrealistic expectations. If you have uh, any assets, any complicated debts over, you know, some student loans and credit card debt uh, or children, the chances that we're going to be done very quickly are very low. 
and and whether or not we are going to be able to settle quickly, we're going to do a little bit of litigation or a lot of litigation, just really depends on the facts of your case as well as your spouse and your family and finding what's going to be best for everyone that's reasonable uh, just depends. And, and sometimes, a lot of the times, after a separation, everyone's emotional and and not really seeing things clearly and comes in wanting everything or they want their spouse to pay or you know they just they they're going through a hard time and they want some justice in their situation and the family law courts are not necessarily there to do that they're they're there to get a fair and equitable dissolution of you know and figuring out who's going to take what uh fair and equitable financial dissolution and then we're going to be looking at what's in the best interest of your kids if you have them uh, in terms of what the custody and financial arrangements are going to be for them um so so sometimes uh my best case scenario is that after the initial separation and filing we're going to be able to just cool it all down uh, because everyone's emotions are running high, there's a lot going on, and things are changing, and I absolutely understand that. But once we've sort of got the ball rolling and we're looking at what what the future holds, then usually we're able to get a little bit more realistic about what we, what needs to happen going forward. Uh, so that's my best case scenario is, is that, you know, we either are coming in with a good sense of what's fair for everyone and able to resolve things quickly, or once the initial emotional period happens uh, that we're able to cool things down. Uh, sometimes, though, you know, the other side just isn't going to become reasonable at any time, and then we have to litigate and go to trial, uh, but, but that's never our first choice. So generally it's try and resolve it you know, behind the scenes or you know, just through some emails back and forth and, and negotiations before going to court? You know, yeah, it's not like yeah. The I mean, it's usually a little bit more complicated. You know, it, it, I'm not usually able to resolve many things with a few emails back yeah. and forth, but uh, I'm always going to prefer to settle things because then my client has control over the resolution, right? So I'm I'm very upfront with my clients. I'm not gonna get you everything that you want. There are gonna be aspects of the settlement, the settlement or the final um, a judge ordered uh, resolution that you're just not gonna be happy with, right? So we need to pick and choose what's the most important to you, what your priorities are, and figure out what is gonna be something that you mostly are happy with. And then uh, that way, if we settle, we have control over that outcome. Whereas when we go to court, we never know what's going to happen. I have a very good idea of what the case law is and what the rules are, and I may have a good sense of the judge and, and feel confident in a range of what the outcome's going to be, but I really don't know. And so when we go to the judge for a resolution or a trial, uh, you're kind of rolling the dice a little bit and you don't you don't know what's going to happen so it could be really good for you or it could be something you're really unhappy with whereas when we settle you have more control over the outcome and you're going to be able to prioritize what your top priorities are and make sure that we get that and then we can say okay these these issues uh you know i'm i'm okay letting go of the boat right <laughs> or the timeshare or whatever mm-hmm. it is and it's so uh, much more predictable that yeah, way. yeah 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 like if, if my priority is staying in the family home let's figure out how to make that happen and make some concessions elsewhere what are some things that you think people should be aware of before going through a divorce process or considering it well so uh one thing that i always advise is if 
if you think that you're heading towards that direction to get a really accurate picture of your finances. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a lot harder once one party has moved out or the bank accounts have been shut down and you know we've changed all the passwords to everything to go and figure out exactly what your financial picture is. Uh, whereas beforehand, you know, I, I would like you to collect your tax returns and mm-hmm. figure out where all of your assets and debts are so that we're saving time uh, and stress figuring things out once once we're not speaking to each other, right? Um, that's that's going to be preferred uh, to, to get ahead of it and know exactly what your financial picture is, uh, particularly, you know, usually the the spouse that's not paying the bills. And I think Corey and I experience this a lot, but it seems like one spouse usually gravitates towards being more in-depth with the finances. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so if you end up being the other spouse that's out of the loop, absolutely, it makes sense yeah. to get a little more knowledge before yeah. going through the process. And and hopefully, and most of the time, it's not some sort of fire and ice, you know, yeah. what the dependent spouse is going to have all their logins changed and be cut off from the credit cards and, and have no access to this information. Usually people are reasonable and forthright about what the finances are, but worst case scenario, I like to be prepared and, and I want to know, I want you to know what your finances are before things are over because uh, it's just going to save a lot of time and stress once we're already in that emotional upheaval of a separation. Anything else people should be sure to do or, or not do before getting divorced or once <laughs> before, they file? Before, Well, once they file, uh, it's very important that before you go and make any major moves that you speak with your attorney. Um, before you withhold the children or before you start making big financial decisions or moving bank accounts or anything like that that you're speaking with your attorney because uh, I often see people who think that they're doing the right thing but really they are harming themselves in terms of a litigation perspective as well as harming their families when they're making these sort of rash decisions because again you know you it is an emotional upheaval and um, people just usually aren't thinking very clearly at the early stages of a divorce. Uh, so it's important that you just slow down and check before you send that nasty email or, or you know, <laughs> make any big decisions because uh, most of the time it, it might be something that you regret and you should you should speak to someone before you do that. And then anything else before filing? Before, before filing, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> it depends. Uh, if, uh, like, some of our higher asset clients, uh, we will do some coaching before separation to make sure that you're doing everything you can to uh, be prepared and protect your position. Uh, so, so again, that depends on your particular situation and your finances, and, and that's something that if you are unsure, uh, but you know that you're, you may be headed in that direction with any reasonable certainty and you want to be prepared, uh, I absolutely encourage you to go speak uh, to an attorney because it very well could reduce the amount of litigation that you're in later on. A lot of attorneys are really good people who just want to help you out of a bad time and, and they may have some really good points on how to reduce uh, the stress to yourself, your spouse, children if you have them. Um, I mean, children are not, uh, divorce is just a, it's a really hard time no matter, no matter what the situation, uh, even the simple low asset we're done pretty quickly divorces they're rough they're really hard and we understand that and uh, a lot of the times attorneys are there to help you find the best outcome 
uh, and if they're a good attorney with the least amount of harm to yourself because families, no matter what the size, are going to be affected. And I'm very conscious that I want to reduce that as much as possible. I'd, I'd rather have you lose a few thousand dollars here or there if it's going to save you rough family dynamics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously we know that's really emotional. <clears throat> and I would think that with kids it would be even more so. Obviously mm-hmm. we've touched on it a couple of times, but what are some differences between divorces without kids and divorces with kids? Well, so the, again, it varies right. know, family yeah. to family, person to person. Uh, generally though, uh, the custody cases are going to be a little bit more emotional right? Uh, because because we're talking about kids, we're talking about custody, uh, we're talking about who has them on Thanksgiving and Christmas and, you know, where they're sleeping every week and every day, uh, as well as figuring out, especially, you know, in high-conflict parenting situations, how are we going to communicate about carpool and who's taking them to the soccer tournament and who's paying this bill or arranging the doctor's appointments. <laughs> those those can become very difficult very quickly uh, because, once, once you get divorced, you still have, um, at least until 18, but definitely for the rest of your life, you're going to have some sort of relationship with this person. So we need to figure out as efficiently how to maintain a co-parenting relationship, and that's a term you'll hear a lot, that co-parenting. Uh, and and it, so generally I will say, though, that the parenting cases can be a lot more emotional than the cut and dry, you know, how are we going to divide this pension? That's... Mm-hmm. Also emotional because you know we're looking at your house, your retirement accounts, your investment accounts, your, all of your assets. We're we're going to be dividing and looking at, but uh, the kids are definitely the most personal of that. So um, I, I'm very conscious of that, and I I want to find what's what's best for your family. So I think a lot of us have heard terms like child support and mm-hmm. alimony, and mm-hmm. you know that it's a thing, but you don't necessarily, like, you don't know anything about how it's calculated or how long it lasts mm-hmm. or anything mm-hmm. like that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I guess. I'm sure it depends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I'll, just, I'll just tell you really quickly for Washington and Oregon, um, the case, there's case law. It's never a hard and fast rule okay. on what your spousal support award is going to be. There's no magic equation that I can ever give someone. I can give you an idea mm-hmm. uh, and uh, a general sense of, of where I think a judge will land, but I'm not going to be able to tell you um, the hard and fast rule. Uh, for some states, for exa- so Washington, for example, we do what's called long-term marriages. So if you've been married for over 25 years, there is a assumption that that the spouses are going to be in an equal financial position for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So, so when I when I get a client who's leaving a thirty year marriage and they think that they're going to do ten years of spousal support, that's a rough conversation because that's just not going to be the do case it for the rest of their life. Basically, yeah, I, I mean, again, we, we, might do, we might do we might do offset asset division so that they're going to be getting sixty percent of the assets, so you don't have to supplement mm-hmm. their income that way. We might do a lump sum payment. You know, we're going to sell this asset mm-hmm. and just give you the proceeds. There's a lot of different mm-hmm. solutions, uh, but but in those long-term marriages, uh, people, I, I am often surprised at how surprised people are that they have to continue to support the dependent spouse for a very long time because um, that's the case law in Washington, for example. So the duration of the marriage might, would probably impact it. Like if someone's getting divorced yes. after a year, they probably won't be yes. paying alimony as long no, as they would have no, no. a 20-year marriage. If you've been married for a year, I, I'd be surprised if you have to pay any spouse okay. support. Uh, <laughs> but but if you attend your marriage, you know, uh, 
maybe five years, depends. Uh, but you're not going to be on a ten-year marriage. You're not going to be paying ten years of spousal support. It's going to be the longer-term marriages that are going to incur uh, greater spousal support awards. Again, depending on the payor spouse's income and then the payee spouse's need uh, mm-hmm. to meet their monthly expenses and maintain the standard of living. Uh, but the factors that go into that consideration vary. Uh, and, but but one of them is the length of the marriage. Uh, that's that's a really big one. I think there's really simple things with like child support even that I don't understand. Like, is it a function of need or is it a function of income? So or? child support is not the spouse's money. Right. Right. It's right. So so the, it's not the primary parent's money. It's the child's money. Right. And that, but it is going to pe- depend on the parent's incomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in Washington and Oregon, there's a calculation for both states where. This is one spouse's income, this is the other spouse's income, and then we just kind of go through the computer and figure out, uh, as long as we don't deviate, what that's going to be. But there is an interesting difference there, actually. So in Washington, it's going to be based off of both parents' income. It's going to be the same no matter what your custody arrangement is. So even if you're 50-50, one parent is going to be paying the other parent child support. And we're not going to do, usually we're not going to do deviation based off of what the custody arrangement is. Whereas in Oregon, we are considering uh, what the custody arrangement is, and that's going to affect your child support award. Personally, I'm not a big fan of that <laughs> because, it, because it incentivizes parents who haven't been the primary parent to, at separation, say, I want 50-50 time because it could, yeah, it could, re- it could reduce reasons. their child support. So I'm not personally a fan of that policy, but it is an interesting difference. Uh, but both states are going to have a, a standard calculation using that worksheet. Uh, but again, we will often deviate, mm-hmm. depending. So that is interesting. So then, because that would impact... I guess, how the child custody is arranged, you know, whether Mm -hmm. it's 50-50 or dad gets the kids on every Mm -hmm. other weekend, mom Mm -hmm. gets them during, like, what are Mm -hmm. some common arrangements that that are for child custody? Well, so... (laughs) It depends. (laughs) depends. (laughs) Um, No, so uh, in the the county where I practice primarily, in Clark County, Washington, the standard minimum uh, absent some showing of rental and fitness is going to be every other weekend and then every week a weekday dinner visit, you know, for three or four hours, whatever the kid's schedule is. Uh, that's going to be the, the standard minimum. Um, and then we're usually going to look at what is, um, it's always going to be what's in the child's best interest, but it's also going to be what was the child's lifestyle before separation. So if we had a stay-at-home parent um, that was doing carpool and doctor's appointments and you know spending the most time with the children chances are we're going to continue doing that we're not going to do a big shake up when parents are getting divorced uh, and that's a personal pet peeve of mine when one parent comes in and says I want this big shake up um, often in part Why because they think it's going <laughs> yeah, often in part because they think it's going to affect their child support or uh, amount that they have to pay um, but or their spousal support uh, because you know this parent can go to work if they're not watching the children all the time, right? As so, so I'm not. A, that is a personal pet peeve when when um, parents come in with that position. Uh, but but the courts honestly are going to see through that, and they're gonna they're gonna go with what's consistency for the children. Makes sense. Yeah. What about? custody arrangements for partners that were never married would that 
So that's going to be the same considerations. It's going to be um, what's in the best in- interest of the children. And um, in Washington, again, for example, they the, the state, the number one consideration in a child's best interest is going to be consistency. So it's going to be what were we doing before? Uh, is that working? Is that not working? We're going to obviously make sure that the children are well cared for, that these, you know, the primary parent is fit, both parents are fit, but, um, and make, make some variations dependent on that. Um, but, and at the same time, weighing, you know, we have some due process rights in terms of the right to parent, uh, and we're not going to interfere with that absent a showing of parental unfitness. Uh, so there, there is, there is some considerations there, uh, but generally what you were doing before, we're going to try to mirror that. Um, the sticky part for me, from a litigation perspective, is the evidence for that, <laughs> based off of you know, well, I've been doing this, this, and this, and the other parent says they've been doing the same thing. Who's actually been doing it, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's sort of the hard thing to know. That's the kids, that's the yeah, because <laughs> yeah. we're not we're not going to ask the kids okay. without getting. Um, some sort of specialist involved. Uh, we're definitely not going to put the children on the stand. And I don't even yeah. necessarily feel like that's lying all the time. It's just different perspectives. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's, and it's honestly, <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, it's just, it's very, from my perspective, it's really hard to, yeah. to sort of assess what the reality is uh, right. because, you know, when I'm looking at your finances, I have statements, pretty cut and dry. I can figure out what was going mm-hmm. on. Uh, but, you know, who said what to Timmy, you know, <laughs> Two third, you know, two years ago after soccer practice, I, I have no way to prove that whether or not that happened, you know. So, so that is a really hard part of of this type of litigation is when we've got children involved and it's all hearsay, and the only reliable witness is a seven year old because <laughs> uh, they are not, in fact, a reliable witness, uh, and we're also not going to get them involved. Uh, unless it's absolutely necessary. And the way that we do that is going to be through some sort of guardian ad litem, therapist, child custody evaluator. Um, but, but again, getting specialists involved with children uh, can do more harm than good, so we're only going to do that if we really have to. Now I have to ask, do you <laughs> ever run into custody disputes over pets? I do. I do that frequently. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, is, that is a very interesting uh, question because I will often have the we want to do a custody arrangement with our dogs, you know, week on, week off. And I say, that's great. You can do that. I will not put it in the paperwork uh, because dogs, um, I don't have children. I have a dog. My dog is my baby. And I totally understand because I have done custody arrangements (laughs) with ex-partners that honestly didn't go well. And I will tell my clients that why this is not a long-term solution, but uh, pets are personal property. So what I will do is I will award each pet to a parent or a parent to a party. <laughs> Same thing. Uh, in your, I, I'm not kidding. In divorce decrees I've done, wife gets German Shepherd parentheses dog's name. Uh, I will specifically award it to one party or the other. So if there is a dispute, we have that paperwork where we can go to small claims uh, but or do a contempt proceeding or whatever. But, uh, yeah, no, that is something that is – very frequent. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it is a fun it is it is uh it is hard though when I tell people that I we can't do a custody arrangement as a child. Uh, no one ever really takes that very well. No one's getting child support. Yeah, no, 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 no. We're not sharing dog expense. I mean you can you can agree to that and you can do that amongst yourselves, but in terms of what I will be submitting that will not be included. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
So I think one thing about like pre-divorce stuff is mm-hmm. maybe pre-marriage stuff. Like yeah, <laughs> pre-marriage and prenups are something that I recommend honestly for everyone. Yeah. Um, and if you're not going to do a pre, prenups are always advised for anyone who's going to be coming in with any form of assets, right? Mm-hmm. If you have, let's say, a family trust. You, you need a prenup. If you have a business, you need a prenup. If you have um, any significant assets, I'd really like, you know, I strongly recommend speaking to an attorney uh, before the marriage. Um, and if not, and I tell this to, you know, I'm I'm in my 30s. I go to a lot of weddings and I'm a, I'm a bummer guest. But <laughs> the one thing that I say, I tell everyone is, I mean, keep some receipts. Uh, you guys are buying a house together. You both need to keep some paperwork in terms of what down payment you put on. You know, uh, you, you both need to know what you're, you need to have some sort of documentation of what you're coming into this marriage. Uh, not because I want you to get divorced, but if it were to happen, it's going to save you so much time and stress 20, 30 years down the line because I spend so much of my time going back to 1990 to figure out who put what down payment in the house or or you know what how much of your pension you had at that time uh it's it's that those types of issues are what we spend a lot of financial aspects of divorces looking at and um yeah I, I told one of my clients the other day because you know we're going back to 1989 trying to figure out you know some financial documents that the banks don't keep and it's a lot of work to go and find um and you know i said you know when your daughters get married just grab their statements from them you know (laughs) figure out what's in their retirement accounts you know just and just put it in a safe somewhere if you ever need it it will save everyone a tremendous amount of of stress and money uh, just to have that documentation uh, and that's my general advice for anyone is just to know what you're what you have going in uh, regardless you know of what happens and then um, my favorite thing about and there are a lot of misconceptions about prenups um, usually when someone says prenup that's I get everything, you get nothing, it doesn't matter how long we've been married or, or if we have ch- killed children, um, you know, this is this is what it's going to be no matter what. And th- I see prenups that are that way, you know, mm-hmm. um, but honestly, in my opinion, the prenups that are found to be unenforceable are the ones that are going to be unreasonable, right, or just unfair. And the tests for that are different, state to state <laughs> again, mm-hmm. um, but, but I... I like doing prenups and I like litigating prenups that are fair because they're they're just going to be more enforceable and they also again reduce the stress and cost of litigation down the line. So what I what I encourage people to do if is that to look at a prenup this is okay when you go and you get a marriage license that's a contract, right? You're making a contract with the state and the person that you're married that I'm signing up for my state's definition of marriage, right? And and a lot of people don't realize that when they're getting married because then X amount of time down the road, they're like, what do you mean? Everything, all the money I made <laughs> equally belongs to them, right? Um, but that's what you sign up for when you get married without a prenup. Um, but if you have a different idea of what marriage is to you uh, from from what your state's idea of marriage is, um, you need a prenup if, if you want that to be enforced. Uh, and it's... Uh, Personally, I, you know, marriage is 
it's a partnership on many levels and one of them is financial. So when you go and get a prenup, it's essentially a financial planning tool, right? So this is a disclosure of what I'm bringing into the marriage, what you're bringing into the marriage, assets and debts. And um, this is this is how our marriage is gonna operate, right? Uh, so again, state to state's different. Um, in Washington, anything that you had prior to the marriage, that separate property, the property itself and any increase in value, that is going to be your separate property upon divorce. Whereas in states like Oregon, that's not the case. Your prior to marriage property, that's gonna be separate property, but any increase in value during the marriage is gonna be marital property, right? So if you want to deviate from that, you need to put that in a prenup, right? And, and the great thing about a prenup is that it says, this is exactly what I had the day that we got married. You were aware of that, you signed up for that, and you agreed that if anything were to happen, this is mine. And this is how our marriage is gonna, op I mean, and so upon divorce, obviously this is an operative document, but it also is, this is what, this is what we want our marriage to look like. This is how we're gonna be handling finances. Uh, and, if, and if one spouse wants that to be unequal, of the prenup is the way to do that, right? Um, but a lot of the time, it's it's a this is how we're going to do things, and we are both knowingly, voluntarily, with informed consent, signing up for this. Um, so I'm a big advocate of prenups because they don't have to be what people think of when they hear prenups. I see those prenups, those prenups happen. There's some, you know, they're often enforced. Um, but, but I also like the prenups that say, this is exactly what I'm coming into the marriage with. We've talked about it and that this is, you know, this is, if we were to get divorced, this is what we both agree would be fair, right? Um, Does for, it necessarily have to agree on how things are going to be dissolved up front or can you just say, here's what we're coming in with? the end. Just like, to establish a baseline. If, if you can do whatever you want. Okay. I mean, I'm not whatever you want, <laughs> but you could, you could do either or. You, you could just say, this is exactly our financial picture, and we agree that as the day that we get married, this is separate property, and then that's either going to stay separate property or what we do during the marriage. So each spouse's income during the marriage or any increase in value, anything like that, this is what we're going to do going forward. Uh, so it's just, it's an informed consent tool. It, it really is a financial planning tool. And it's just, a, this is in my informed consent to what the financial arrangements of our marriage parentheses contract <laughs> are. Do you have any tips for how to broach the prenup subject? Cause yeah, <laughs> yeah. So again, um, in terms of, from my side of the street, the earlier the better. So the, if the, longer you so there's okay i will get into the That's prenup early, <laughs> um, so there's two facets of prenup enforceability there's procedural and then substantive unconscionability so depending on your state uh, they'll either require one or the other in order to make a prenup unenforceable but uh, some states if you are handing someone a prenup midnight the day before the wedding and not giving them a chance to review it with a lawyer guess what there's no way that thing's going to be enforced right um so so in terms of doing a prenup properly again please speak to an attorney have them draft it do not do your own prenup um do not get a form off the internet um but but the sooner you broach the topic the sooner both parties have an attorney the the um the longer you negotiate the prenup the the better it's going to be okay um so but i would bring it up as soon as possible right um my brother recently got engaged um, they had the prenup talk 
maybe a week later. So maybe not on yeah. our first date. Not but on the first date, but, when but when you're considering <laughs> marriage, it's, I honestly, I think it's, it's a discussion like any other major discussion that you have when you're entering that important of a partnership, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't form a business with someone without bringing that up early on, right? No. Um, and you're definitely not going to form a business with someone without signing some things and having lawyers talk and, and doing a little negotiating. That's, I mean, it's just, it's just common sense to me. I think that's where, we, like, for a lawyer, it's probably very easy because mm-hmm. you see this and deal with it every day and you understand the ramifications. But for a quote-unquote normal person, mm-hmm, yeah. like, they just have all those emotional uh preconceived notions about mm-hmm. prenups and, 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 and marriage, yeah, and marriage rather than yeah. viewing marriage as what yeah. it truly is which is a contract mm-hmm. it's not you know yeah like you can be emotionally happy without yeah. being married but, but but I mean personally I would suggest bringing it up like I as said soon as this isn't but yeah. this isn't what you think I'm going for yeah. right so I will tell you one of my clients um, he uh, surgeon had had been divorced his first divorce was incredibly litigious and he didn't want to do that you know so when he went to do a second marriage he said you know i'm going to need a prenup as soon as they started talking about marriage um but it's going to be fair right and and they negotiated a system uh where you know his separate property is his separate property but uh income during the marriage um for example so what i think what he did that I really liked actually was uh, for every year that they were married, all of his retirement contributions, he matched hers. So so now that we're going to get divorced, she's going to be leaving with full retirement even though she didn't work throughout the marriage. Um, so that's fair, right? Yeah. I think that's a great idea. I fully support prenups that have some sort of arrangement like mm-hmm. that, uh, whereas the prenups that say you get nothing, A, from um, the person trying to enforce the prenup, I'm going to be hesitant. I, I'm, I'm going to have some concerns that that's going to be enforced, A. Um, but B, it's also, it's just, it's fair. It's common sense. It's it's the right thing to do. Uh, so I, I encourage everyone to think to challenge their conceptions of prenups uh, and look at them from that sort of perspective that um, this is this is part of entering a partnership and this is part of figuring out what's fair uh, for both parties. I like it. We're going to put a bookmark in the conversation here. Be sure to tune in to the next episode to hear the second half of our interview with Blake. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on LinkedIn as well. Check out all the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out our blog, thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Affinity Group, LLC.